Warning. This episode contains adult language and content. They say the pen is mightier, but in whose hands? So we'll pitch your stories head to head and find out which one lands. All three sham writers haven't read a lot. So your sham host will find a famous plot. From books and films and TV shows, they'll make a pitch. Then off you go to write what you don't know. Sham Fiction, the show where two writers cross pens in a duel to write what they don't know. Now, here's your host, Eric Carlson. That's right, my name is Eric Carlson. I am the host of this show. I am speaking in a slightly robotic tone. Joining me today are my two co-hosts we have marcus mann over here does not compute exactly and then we got andrew neal over there i am offended by both of your racist robot accents (laughs) uh you know in this day and age it's 2018 how untasteful of both of you Uh uh-huh i know i'm so so sorry but it's okay it's okay because today uh we're we're talking about a blast from the past where uh, racist uh, interpretations <laughs> of robots might be accepted in the general, you know, the general uh, vernacular of the time. Uh, because Making robots great again. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> this episode's off to a great start. Fantastic start. So, uh, as the listeners... Our one conservative listener just deleted the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's too bad. We needed that guy. Ah, paying our bills. Anyway, today, we're talking about a show. Or are we talking about a movie? Because the listeners might be a little confused because they saw Westworld in the title. And yes, today, we are, in fact, talking about Westworld, one of the biggest properties that exists right now. But there's 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 a little caveat. What? Uh, because you two, you've seen the HBO series titled I think I Westworld. Have. Yeah, you think you I, have. Who can say? I'm, I'm going to say what it I'm is I really saw. I'm not sure either. You think you're a little confused. So maybe you maybe you watched Definitely. it and then you came away from it going, huh? Yep. Well, you know That's what? about right. A lot of people, I think, felt that way. But that didn't stop HBO's Westworld from becoming one of the biggest shows on television but eric you <laughs> you said that there was a caveat there's, to all there's this. a caveat uh we're not actually going to be covering the hbo series westworld no 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 dear listener we are what? going back to the past the past the deep dark origins of westworld the original Future world night no the original a little further back <laughs> a little further back 1976 film Westworld written and directed by Michael Crichton the source material for the HBO series yes 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 and there's 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 some differences there are some similarities there are differences and uh you too you haven't seen this film right I have not 
No. Now, were you that like would, that me would ruin everything? In that you knew that Westworld was a Michael Crichton thing, and you had assumed that it was a book, and then you went on to Amazon.com uh, or wherever you buy books and typed Westworld book, and then was real sad and confused when you just couldn't find it. Was that just me? You know, that happened to me way back when the HBO show was originally announced. I was like, what's this based on? I think my dad said something about Yul Brynner. And then it turned out there wasn't a book. Yeah. yeah. And then I didn't watch the movie. Yeah, well, the good, because if you had, we wouldn't have an episode. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm excited for this episode because we get to talk about the HBO series, yet not. <laughs> because we will we will we will talk about it of course but the technically the pitch is for this 1976 movie so so i'm just gonna i'm gonna give you a couple of stats so oh wait did i say 76 yes you did i think it was re-released in 76 i think it was originally released in 73 hold on hold on Oh, hold on! It I'm, was. The phone. I have a phone in my hand, and I am holding it. My goodness! Hold so the phone uh, originally released November twenty first, nineteen seventy three. My mistake, listeners. I apologize for that oversight. Was this a hit? Do you this know? Do you have that information? Actually, it was not terrible. It made about ten million total. Uh, it, it did pretty okay. well actually at the time, considering its low, low budget of one point two five million dollars. That wow. is a very low budget, even yeah. by that time standards. Yeah. And about half of it went to paying for the cast, and I think, it, and only like you know less than a hundred thousand went to sets and production design, and it, it shows. <laughs> oh no, they spent all their money on Yul Brenner. <laughs> they sure did. Oh, but anyway, this is a this is a thing. This is a real thing that exists, listeners. And I will I will say you should check it out. You should check okay. it out. Um, you can like rent it on Amazon and, and all those, all those internet places. Uh, it's, it's something special. Something special. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that because when you said that you were going to do this, you know, the worry is, is it any good? And I mean, is it, it sounds like it's, it's, it's okay. You you enjoyed it. I'll tell you this. Okay. So. So the the Westworld the HBO series I I really really like that show right I know there there are mixed feelings in this room on this podcast about Westworld but I think the first season is like spectacular I loved it I was confused there was a lot going on it's just good deep sci-fi about what it is like the nature of humanity and what it is to be human you know in this world where there are these like robotic replicants basically that 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 can perfectly imitate life yeah see this westworld movie this 1973 film none of that none of it just none of it and yet uh, you know, you know what watching this movie did? It made me want to watch the HBO series. There's <laughs> so much potential in this movie, but you can tell it was just constrained by the time, and and maybe some other factors. It just the budget wasn't there, so there's a lot of cool stuff happening. But I mean, this is this is from Michael Crichton. 
You know who? You know what else Michael Crichton did? Oh, ER. oh, oh. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, ooh. what, Andrew? Ooh. You're ooing. Ooh, ooh. Uh, I know what else he's done. Yeah, just just spit it out. A little something. Ugh. An adventure you might say 65 million years in the making. Uh, Jurassic Park. That's the one. And if you if you realize that uh, Jurassic Park and Westworld came from the same, uh, I don't know, seed, shall we say? I might say guy. Well, fine. <laughs> came from the same guy. You're right. Okay, fine. Uh, there's, there's just, there's a lot going on, but you know what? Uh, Steven Spielberg wasn't involved, uh, did not have this Steven Spielberg budget, but that's okay. It's still magical. Uh, so as I mentioned, it was directed or actually it was written by Michael Crichton. It was also directed by Michael Crichton. Now it's a debut. Yeah, it's exactly. It's the first thing he directed. Uh, but this is a film, as we mentioned, starring Yul Brynner. It's also got, uh, an actor by the name, uh, Richard Benjamin and, uh, James, not Josh, James Brolin. Oh, Papa Brolin. Crime. Oh boy. I don't know. Uh, anyway, are we ready? Can, should I just, should I just get into this? Just pitch it. I've been, I've been so ready. I feel like I've been just trying to justify doing a show about the 1973 film. Really, it's just cause I, I wanted to talk about Westworld cause Westworld, it's a magical place. So let's get into this. Let's put... Eight minutes on the clock. Pitch session. Eight minutes on the clock. Three, two, one, let's jam. Boy, have we got a vacation for you. That's the pitch. That's the pitch of Delos, the theme park. Y'all know Delos. It's like an HBO. It's this, it's like this company, this big company that has these theme parks, right? Well, in the Westworld, uh, the movie, there are three theme parks to choose from. It's it's the amusement park of the future today. You can choose uh, any one of these three options. One, medieval world. So, you know, castles, knights, kings, etc., I might go with that one, but uh, I want to hear what the other two. Well, ones are. you could, you know, it's 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 your choice. You could do whatever you want here. Well, one it's, of them's the California Adventure, right? It's your vacation. Um, <laughs> uh, no, no, actually, different thing. Uh, the okay. next one is Roman World. So Ooh. it's you get to inhabit Ooh. the ancient city of Pompeii. You know, perhaps uh, somebody in a in a toga will feed you grapes. You know, whilst lounging. I don't know. Ooh. Oh. Uh, the the options are there. <laughs> oh. Yep, very hedonistic. Uh, and of course, lastly, uh, last but not least, you got Westworld, or uh, sometimes in this film referred to as Western World. Uh, I guess they couldn't decide. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Anyway, inconsistencies aside, we get to see all three of these parks in this film. Uh, oh, the, cool. The, the idea is for $1,000 a day, Guests oh. can hop on the back of a golf cart and be driven through a linoleum tunnel to live out their fantasies. Uh, <laughs> the arrival, not Magical. quite as high budget as that of the HBO series. No. So, a uh, film made in 73, as we mentioned, but it is set in the futuristic time of 1984. 
So keep that in mind. The future. Computers? Question mark? Exclamation point? I'm not sure. Shut up, you. Sorry, my (laughs) Alexa is wake word is uh, something I can't say. Uh, Anyway, so... (laughs) We're joined, so so our heroes. We see, well, we can we we'll see how Eric treats the robots. <laughs> Don't be like me. Uh, so our main characters that we're joining on this adventure into Westworld is Western World. Yep, yep, Western World is a guy named John Blaine. That's uh, James Brolin. James Brolin only plays characters with the same initials as him. <laughs> it's in his contract. It's true. We it's call a, that it's a look on his IMDb trivia. Uh-huh. Uh, he's a repeat visitor. He knows the lay of the land. Uh, and he's joined by his friend Peter Martin, who's played by Richard Benjamin. And this is his first time in the park. And he is like our POV character. He's our everyman. He's, he's the audience. Uh, so this is kind of set up actually similarly to the HBO series when you have those, uh, you know, two dudes, uh, going Mm. in white, black, black hat and a white hat. Same basic thing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, plot of this is that our heroes are living it up. Um, it's funny because, uh, this version of Westworld is again, low budget. They're staying in what I would describe as a pretty shitty hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, think about it. It's like supposed to be the 1880s or whatever where they are. And so it's like accommodations aren't nice. It's just like a shitty hotel you might find. It's authentic. Exactly. And you know, they're just living it up, staying at the shitty hotel room, drinking whiskey at a pretty regular looking bar yeah uh but there's nice. also things like banging robo hookers all right and and, hey, and starting bar fights with uh, the likes of yul brenner wow uh so yul brenner in this in this little flick he plays a character known only as the gunslinger Ooh. and you can imagine you can imagine his role so uh yul brenner the gunslinger is a host you all know what that means right it means he's a robot it means so they use the same word same word yes they are they are the hosts they're there to serve the guests they serve they they play their roles they perform their functions and yul brenner's function is basically hang out at the bar and uh and pick fights with guests and then the guests will get into a, a shootout and shoot him that's that's basically why he exists and there's okay. like there's like technology in the guns where the gun that uh, Yul Brenner has has like a, a little heat sensor. Actually, every the guns everybody has, uh, it won't fire if it's aimed at a warm object, you know, like a human. Oh, okay. but it will go off if it's aimed at a cold-blooded robot. <laughs> ah, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, the gunslinger in this, he's he kind of acts like the T-1000, you know, very just like cold, mechanical, and scary, and just like, just, just yeah. chasing after you. Yeah, swords for hands, you. gotcha. Yeah, swords for yeah. hands. Uh, and, and also, the only real difference is that he's just, you know, preceded by a little gut, because he's Yul Brenner in 1973. <laughs> anyway. He doesn't so, have to impress you, Carlson. <laughs> meanwhile. You see, back in the 70s, men were men. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Full of uh, hair and beer. Yep. Anyway, meanwhile, in this park, what's what's happening in this park? A mysterious computer virus has 
Two minutes remaining. Has begun infecting the hosts. There's random shutdowns and malfunctions in medieval world and Roman world, and all these like egghead scientists backstage are just like, "What's going on? What's a computer virus?" This was like the first movie ever to talk about computer viruses. It was like the thing that made that phrase a thing. (laughs) God, that's weird to think about. It is weird. Um, But what happens then with this malfunction is like this robot snake bites John Blaine in the arm and is like, ah, ouch, that's not supposed to happen. I I don't think they they actually put poison in the robot snakes, but still, ouch, what's going on? There's supposed to be safety mechanisms. What could possibly be going awry? Uh, we get uh, we get a weird peek into these other worlds sometimes, especially medieval world. And we so we get this peek into medieval world where there's some like putsy old dude on vacation. He's like trying to fuck the queen, uh, but instead <laughs> of getting uh, one of fucking, remaining, oh jeez, one minute instead of fucking the queen, he just literally gets murdered by a knight. So you know, uh, people start dying, and very soon this like this this computer virus is basically turning all these robots into to killing machines. And people are just getting slaughtered left and right. Uh, and these these dorky scientists are sitting around like, shut off the power. And they shut off the power to the park, but that doesn't stop the robots. It just locks their doors and turns off the vents. So all these scientists fucking die. Oh, no. And they then, just suffocate. And yeah. And then the gunslinger, oh, gunslinger shows up and murders John Blaine. Just, he's just dead. Main character, dead. <laughs> Oh, man. So then you have Peter, the newbie, you know, first time in Westworld, running for his life, and everybody's trying to kill him. It's madness. Um, so how is this different from the HBO series? I can fit this Time's in. Up. Damn! Oh, we, we, we aren't going to know. Uh, I mean, based off the last eight minutes, I have no idea how it's any different. It sounds, it sounds exactly yep, the same. Just the same. Exactly the same. Because, <laughs> yeah, I think- the- this is this is trouble, Eric. I think someone at HBO is going to lose their job over this when they realize how little money they could have made this show for. Exactly. You just the, proved you, that there was no difference uh-huh. between these two you TV shows. You only needed a, a small million-dollar loan. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I, I can't believe I run out of, ran out of time. There was... I, I feel like this was a pretty simple pitch. Did I just take my time? Was I speaking slowly? I think, yeah, that, and we were giving you some crap throughout so i deserved it i I did i did uh put pause on my whole diatribe about whether you have to actually pay the whores in westworld and if you do my question was do you have to like buy disney bucks or is that included in the package you know i don't know why you're not saving this for your q a mark are there are there fast passes in westworld guys save it save it you gotta save it it's 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 the part of the show where we do our Q and A. You each have two minutes uh, uh, to ask me questions that only I am allowed to hear and answer. And the other host, as you know, uh, ooh, host, <gasps> there's that word, uh, doesn't get to hear it. So who's going first? I think uh, I think Marcus Mann. You look like That's you're me. gonna you're gonna ask me some questions. So I'm gonna a your cues. Back to that. Fantastic. All right, Andrew, Andrew and some cues. Let's do this. <laughs> Andrew Neal, please step out of the room. I need some alone time with my good pal Marcus. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, let's get started. Two-minute Q&A, begin. Okay, so it comes down to just this dude and Yul Brenner having a shootout 
How does he have any chance of surviving? Because uh, these robots kind of suck. Did I not? <laughs> okay. Did I not mention that? This no. is this is uh, like ni- what nineteen seventy three imagine nineteen eighty three technology would look like. So real advanced, and yet they know it's just like uh, you know they're still robots. There's going to be flaws. You can sort of tell them apart from humans. Uh, they have shitty hands, <laughs> and they're real easy to break. So okay. if you can like fuck up their visual system or something, you're probably going to be okay. Do they have like servos and stuff if you cut oh, them open. Yeah, just it's wires not just white and goo. tubes. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Uh huh. How like explicit is this film? Because uh, obviously the HBO show is very explicit. No, it's not. It's not anywhere near that level. They made this uh, mass market, you know, movie theater audience. Are there naked hosts in it though? I do, uh, I don't. I should remember that sort of thing. I just don't. I don't think oh, so. Oh wow! I don't think so. That's very different from the show. Very, very different. <laughs> what was your favorite thing about this that you don't see in the show? Oh, you know, it's the the everyone's. It's just murder machine. You you're you're running for your life. It it has the potential of being like this horror, pure horror movie. Uh, okay, because it's not like an ethical conundrum no. it's just they get a virus and they just want to straight up seconds remaining. that's it it's so simple that's what i like about it gotcha uh what's the funniest thing the character the main character says the funniest Are there quips in this movie no <laughs> not really no oh not a quippy movie it's not yes, that self-aware out of order see no. you you can make it your own i want to see right. that from you all right I'm excited for this. You should uh, be. <laughs> which Westworld would you rather visit? Time's up. Uh, you know what? I will answer that question because uh, it's unrelated to your story. Wait, is it? Is it unrelated to your story? Is this it's just going to be a Mary Sue fiction with Eric? Oh, no. <laughs> um, I uh, I would I would do Medieval World, obviously. Oh. I, I mean, mean, out of the two, like the show or the movie. Oh, the show or the movie? Well, I mean, the production values in the show are just so much better. <laughs> so, the show. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Good to know. Anyway, uh, good questions, good questions. Now, go scamper. Scamper off. Go right. <laughs> go change out my money for Disney dollars. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'll see you at the park. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. Oh, Andrew, boy. Andrew, get in here. Hey, I'm back. Hey, Andrew. Hey. Did you have a good uh, two minutes alone to yourself? Yeah, I ate my cues. Oh, <laughs> fan- fantastic. Uh, I... Did you think of some good ones? Uh, we'll see. All right, you ready? Yep, let's, I let's, uh... just shut my brain off. I went into sleep mode oh, okay. during that, so I... So I'm all refreshed, and who knows what's going to happen. I'm so worried about this for some reason right now, because (laughs) it's taking you a long time to say those words. Let's put those two minutes on the clock. Two-minute Q&A, begin. Okay, so so you ended off on a bit of a cliffhanger back there. what? Well, how is this different from the original Westworld? <laughs> you asked the question. Marcus didn't ask the question. <laughs> Sorry, I'm wasting your time. So, um, like the I big difference, like a the big. big there, okay, a couple big things. One, video games didn't exist back then, so the concept of like NPCs and narratives and everything did not exist. Yeah. Two. Uh, uh, there's no like duplicates of humans. You can always tell like the robots from the people. 
because they have you can tell with their hands there's like a giveaway in their hands okay um like they can't get the hands right (laughs) exactly they just can't get the hands right um and lastly it's the technology it's 19 you know 70 whatever era technology so you just there's no uh duplicating the realism yeah the, the the moral conundrums of the hbo series sure the the hosts just they do not act human they don't feel they, human it's enough but it's just it's not you, you know you're never gonna confuse is this a human am i a human who's a human is is uh anthony hopkins a robot we'll never know none okay. of that crap yeah sure and everything is it like in the hbo west world where everything is a host Every, like every, cre- every creature can't, can't answer can't answer that okay um then what else oh, time uh, for one more do they use westworld bucks is there a special currency uh you know as far as i can tell it's just money you just you just, just fan just, money just money yeah. um and they have sex with these things like real sex yeah Ugh, well i mean yeah. real robo sex yeah they're sticking things and things oh yeah sure are yep and time's up and that's, that's it, it. That's, all you get. that's the end well i feel pretty good about that because i'm really glad that marcus did not ask the question that <laughs> yeah you left I, off I, on I, I know i hinted at some of those things but those are like the big differences like you got to think about how the world of like when they made this movie what technology was and what they thought technology could do yeah like that is such a big mindset in this so i don't want a story that seems like it could take place in 2018 i want to see the late 70s early 70s somewhere in this piece yeah no that makes sense that's that's what makes this different that's what makes this not hbo westworld this is michael Crichton westworld there you go that's it so go off Go to the park. Have a good time. Don't blow all your cash on hookers. Okay? okay and Andrew? I didn't ask the big question, but uh, I'm going to just answer it myself, and we'll see if whether or not there are dinosaurs in this park. <gasps> see ya! Bye! What a tease! What a tease! Well, listeners, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back from that quick commercial break, we're going to listen to two hopefully wonderful stories from two absolutely wonderful writers right after this hey everybody i just wanted to take a couple of minutes to thank each and every one of you for everything you've done sham fiction exists solely because listeners like you have recommended the show to your friends you've left ratings and reviews on itunes and you kicked us a couple of dollars on coffee If you haven't done any of these things yet, that is completely okay. Sham Fiction is a free show, after all. We just want you to be happy. But if you want to do a little something more, head over to shamfiction.com. You'll find links to iTunes, links to coffee, links to the episode archive. It's a great place. Head on over there. Check it out. And uh, let us know what you think of the show. Honestly, we love feedback. So shamfiction.com, see you there. Yeah! Howdy, partners! Welcome to Western World. I mean, 
I mean, uh, Westworld. Uh, put your black hat on and get your gun, Annie or whoever else, because it's time for Western World. Guys, did you write anything? Did you write anything? I sure did, partner. I oh, sure good. Marcus. did. Marcus is here, and he wrote a story. Yeah. Uh, Rassled up some words. Neil, did you? Andrew, Andrew, did you? Did you do it? Yes, I did. And Marcus <laughs> took my thing that I was going to say was I was going to say I rounded up some words for you. God damn it! I'm did very you? limited on the number of Western things that I know about, and I grew <laughs> up in the West. God damn it! So I don't know. I don't know things. Wrangle that we wrangle things. We round yep. things up. We we Get a lasso. What'd you say? You, you get a posse together. You get up a posse, head down to the watering hole. <laughs> the OK Corral. Yeah, all these things. There's yep. a snake in my boot. Etc. <laughs> all right, good. So, uh, this is, uh, we're going to, let's just jump into this. Now I have to decide who gets to go first. Who gets to read their version of the 1973 film Westworld, written and directed by Michael Crichton. But no, nay. Written or directed by you two. What? I yes, think, it, indeed. Uh, it was both written and directed by me. I have yep. a short film to share on this podcast. <laughs> Fantastic. The production values through the roof. Yep. It's a $1.5 million budget on this short film. You got it. There we go. Okay, I'm just going to have Andrew go first. Okay. Because I'm grabbing uh, my popcorn. I want to watch this short film. Let me cue up my film one second. Perfect Fantastic. for Fantastic. this podcast medium. Q Q Q. Threading that film. He's projecting. Okay, I'm, wow. I'm lying. I, I'm, I'm lying. I just <laughs> wrote something. Media. I just wrote oh, something. Okay. That's fine. It's just you said written and directed, and I was very excited. Well, you know what? You direct your own performance. So why don't you just take it away? I love Whenever it. Whenever you're ready. All right, I will do that. This is Andrew's. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't ready for it. Um, all right, this is Andrew's take on. Western world. <laughs> Brown, orange, yellow. Brown, orange, yellow. The colors repeated with each of Peter's labored steps, which were becoming less and less frequent. Looking at it one way, the homely chevron pattern of the hallway's linoleum floor seemed <laughs> to guide Peter forward, pointing ahead toward the possibility of safety or solution but he knew better. If he were to turn around, an identical pattern would appear before him, guiding him back toward death with just as much energy. Energy. That was something Peter was running low on. His legs and abdomen were cramping from all the running and his lack of food and water. He'd been running for hours now. The last 20 minutes or so, since he'd gone backstage, had been his longest break since the day's horrors began. The thought of rest flickered in Peter's mind until blue faces and bulging eyes replaced it. The need to run may have stopped since he came backstage, but the horrors hadn't. What had he expected to see behind the door to master control? The off switch for Westworld? It sounded so stupid now, but it's exactly what he'd wanted when he opened that door. Instead, he'd been gre greeted by a heap of sightless eyes and gaping mouths, and that stench. He had to stop thinking about that. He had to keep moving. He could do that. All it took was one foot in front of the other, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. He stopped, 
As soon as he'd started focusing on his steps, he thought he'd heard another set, a familiar and unwelcome gait. He listened. His heart was pounding so hard against his ribs, he feared the sound would echo down the empty corridor. He heard no other sound, and nothing came into sight under the bright, fluorescent lights. He continued on. The thought that he'd barred the backstage door did not assure him any. There were likely other doors, and if there were, his pursuer would find one. A door loomed ahead of him now. The sign next to it gave him a slight bit of hope. It said, Host Control Room 2. Peter gripped the doorknob and turned it slowly. He was more cautious this time, after his error back at Master Control. But this door gave him no resistance. He opened it soundlessly, and no horrors hid behind. Rather, this room held something more banal, a long row of computers. Peter stepped inside and surveyed the space. Each black computer screen showed rows and rows of green text moving upward, <laughs> a new row appearing every few seconds. He leaned in close to the first screen and read what was there. 210732 Entered Madame Myrtle's billiard parlor, second floor lobby. 210740 Moved 12.3 feet southwest, entered second floor corridor. 210748 Moved 10 feet west, entered room 203. It continued on like this, logging movements. In the upper right corner of the screen, an unchanging bit of text read, Shirley Denbro. Recognition flashed in Peter's eyes. He had met Shirley at the billiard parlor. Peter had watched her go upstairs with a short, fat fellow with a mustache. And later, when they had returned to the bar, he'd watched her strangle him. He remembered her face as she did it, under utterly blank of expression. A realization came to Peter then, pushing Shirley out of it. It was accompanied by a strange mix of satisfaction, curiosity, and anxiety. His pursuer would have a log like this. He eagerly began checking down the row of computers, reading the names. Dorothy Loden, Wilma Strait, Madame Myrtle herself. There were also a few with just titles and numbers. Barfly 1, 2, and 3, Dealer number 1. Peter continued on until the end of the row, but he didn't find what he was looking for. Then he remembered where he was. Host Control Room 2. So he went down the quiet hall to Host Control Room 1, confident that he'd find what he was looking for there. And he was right. The title was on the first computer inside the door, but there was no number after it. It simply read, The Gunslinger. But there was something wrong, a knot twisted in Peter's gut. Unlike the other screens he'd seen, the log here had stopped updating. The bottom row of the text was blinking. It read, Signal Interrupted. The preceding entries remained. The last one read, 210513, Entered Unknown Location. The knot in Peter's gut doubled. He sidestepped over to the next computer and checked the time on the functioning log there, 211427. The gunslinger's signal had been lost for nine minutes. Peter backed away from the computers and leaned against the wall. He caught a sob in his throat and rubbed his face in both hands. 
The unknown location in the gunslinger's log may not refer to backstage. But Peter didn't want to lie to himself. He had a decision to make then. He could wait and see if the gunslinger's signal reconnected and ensure that the coast was clear. Or he could move on and find a way out, unsure of his pursuer's location. One of those corridors with the gaudy floors had to lead out, right? The chevrons may not point the way, but there would be exit sides, wouldn't there? Peter wasn't sure if he'd seen any. He hadn't really been looking out for one. He'd only had one thought on his mind for hours. Get away. Move your feet. Right foot. Left foot. Right foot. Left foot. Step. 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 Peter looked down at his feet then. They weren't moving, but he heard step, 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 step. <laughs> Tears welled in Peter's eyes. The skin across his body prickled and he shivered. That familiar and unwelcome gait. He recognized it on shitty linoleum as well as wood or dirt. <laughs> it had been insistent and unchanging, even after following him for hours and hours. And it was close now. So close that it was too late to hide. His pursuer would see him any second through the wall, sensing his heat. Peter hated being right. Come out now, you some bitch. <laughs> the gunslinger's voice was low and heavy. It vibrated through Peter like the tremor of an earthquake. I see you hiding in there, yellow belly. Now, come out. The sudden shout surprised Peter, but he had to stifle a scream. He quickly scanned the long, narrow control room. There was the row of computers, a space to walk, and nothing else. There was no other way out than the way he came in, and if he stepped out there, he'd be shot. Enough of this, the gunslinger growled. Peter heard the click of his, the host cocking its pistol. If you ain't coming out, I'm coming in. As it shouted this, the gunslinger's heavy, pronounced steps approached the open control room door. It would be inside in seconds, and then Peter would be dead. He had no time to think. Fear flooded his mind and his body, and he started to scream. He pushed off the wall and stumbled toward the computers, turning to the door as he crossed the short distance. The gunslinger was there, an alien sight under the fluorescent lights. It raised its pistol and aimed squarely at Peter, who shrieked. His weakened legs gave out, and he fell to the floor as bang! A gunshot filled the room with sudden, deafening sound. A shower of glass cascaded across Peter's back and onto the linoleum floor. He squeezed his eyes shut and twisted his face in expectation of horrible pain. None came. Neither did another gunshot. The chiming sound of falling glass ceased. When Peter opened his eyes, they first went to the door to where the gunslinger had stood and where it remained. Something was different, though. It wasn't moving. It was perfectly frozen, statue-like. Peter stared at it, eyes as wide as they can go, anxious to detect the slightest of movements. But the host didn't move. Peter shook the glass shards off his back and turned around to the source of the debris. 
the gunslinger's shot had missed Peter and struck the computer that had been logging its activity. The thick, dark glass of the computer screen was shattered. Peter looked back and forth from the wrecked computer to the frozen gunslinger. He was no expert, but he didn't need to be to determine the cause and effect. He also wasn't about to stick around to figure it all out. With his heart pummeling his chest and his bladder about to give, Peter sidestepped around the gunslinger, through the door, and into the hallway. Once there, he nearly collapsed from the overwhelming sense of relief he felt. He used the momentum to stumble forward down the hall, away from host control room one. He spotted something up ahead. Thankfully, nothing that made him want to scream. At the end of the hall, at the T-intersection, a red exit sign hung from the ceiling, pointing left. A deep, satisfying sigh escaped Peter then, and he began to giggle involuntarily and eventually laugh outright. In that moment, he thought that maybe the intense relief he felt had driven him mad, but then he decided he didn't care. Better crazy than dead. He allowed himself to laugh and to do so loudly. It echoed up and down the empty halls, increasing in volume with each step he took toward that glorious glowing exit sign. When he reached the T-intersection, Peter was gasping for breath and wiping tears from his eyes and smiling cheeks. He bent over with his hands on his knees to catch his breath, but it instead escaped him as a familiar voice asked, Who you laughing at, yellow belly? The end. Oh. <laughs> well, partner, <laughs> that was a story. And that ain't the last story we're going to hear today, neither. Neither? <laughs> Nether. <laughs> uh, Marcus, I am, uh, I'm going to just, I'm just going to move right along to you. We will talk about Andrew's story in a moment. But first, what have you got for us? Well, allow me to spin another yarn here for you. You <laughs> hunker down at the campfire. And I'm getting older as we go on. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, all these voices uh, make me disappointed. There's gold in them dare hills. <laughs> I should have dis- delivered my story in this type of voice. Marcus, I expect <laughs> no. No, none less from you. It'll not let's, affect let's, let's the drama now. at all. Yeah. <laughs> the old prospector. All right, all right. Been sifting that silt for going on 35 years. <laughs> Ain't found a single speck of gold. Oh, good. Well, maybe uh, there's gold in their story. Oh, let's hope. I'm excited to read something following up that spooky tale from Mr. Neal. Uh, I will present Marcus Mann's version of Westish World. And <laughs> just, uh, just, just take it away. Here we go. You're not supposed to move someone who's been shot. Peter knew that. The strain of the exertion increases the flow of blood, losing vital minutes that can never be recovered. It was dangerous at best, and lethal at worst. But the risk sure as hell beat getting shot again. John had scoffed at the visible steel service doors when he was first showing Peter around the park. The bright yellow paint and modern typeface broke the illusion of the western world, he said. (laughs) Peter thought if John could still talk, he wouldn't be as upset with them now. There was only hope for surviving, of finding a way to contact the outside world. The screams of the other guests being massacred in the town square were muffled when Peter slammed the heavy door behind them. 
The weight of the situation was still something far off, ephemeral, like the weight of his friend. He simply didn't have the time to feel it. The burning in his legs couldn't be heated as he shouldered John down the service way, lit by flashing red lights. There was no time. He didn't have the luxury of being too tired or weak to move on. The Delos travel agents had promised them that the hosts, as they were calling the gun-wielding nightmares in the park, <laughs> were not capable of leaving their designated worlds. If that was true, they should be safe. But Peter wasn't very hopeful of that. In the same breath, the agents had explained that the guns were incapable of firing at anything warm-blooded. The slick life spilling out of his friend's side proved that was wrong. After a series of blind turns that took years off of Peter's life, they came upon a door marked Control Room. <laughs> it was hard to see through the small glass window, but the people inside were not moving. Some were slumped in their chairs while others were flat on the floor. Peter couldn't guess what had happened. There was no blood. He leaned John up against the wall next to the door. His friend's eyes were distant, and he didn't respond when Peter said he was going to try to get help. His breathing was shallow. Peter pushed the thought of John's health aside, willed the flashes of John's wife Judy and the kids out of his mind. He grabbed the handle and turned it. Nothing happened. The door wouldn't give way. He pushed again and again and couldn't get it to budge. The exhaustion nearly caught up to him when he heard the sound of spurs in the distance. <laughs> the clinking metal that he had thought was so fun when meeting the gunslinger was just a game now gave him strength. He didn't need to imagine what would happen if he wasn't somewhere safe by the time that sound was on him. With a final heave, Peter threw himself against the door and it swung open. Air rushed in around him, filling the vacuum that had existed in the control room. With revolting clarity, Peter realized what must have happened. The poor operators had triggered the fire suppression system when they were trying to reboot the park. It was more advanced than sprinklers or foam. Peter considered it as his firm's new site, but it was too expensive. The safety feature formed a vacuum to cut oxygen in the event of a fire. These systems were meant to be foolproof. They couldn't operate if there were people in the room, but somehow the park had stopped recognizing people. It had killed them all. Peter got John inside and sealed the door. Maybe the gunslinger would ignore them if he thought everyone in the room was already dead. He wished someone was alive to tell him what was going on. Then he remembered why he had come this way. The radio. There had to be a way of contacting someone who could help. Someone who could send help. Of course, the equipment was dead. It was state-of-the-art. Why would they have bothered to have a backup? The arrogance was literally killing him. <laughs> he took stock of the room. There were mechanical components and chemicals that fueled the hosts, next to bays of inoperable computers. In the corner of the room was a white first aid kit marked with a red cross and a quick-drenched shower with bright red handle and silver chain. <laughs> Finally, some luck. The first aid kit wasn't much, but there was gauze and tape. If Peter could wash off the wound, it was possible he could patch John up a little better and give him a fighting chance. His friend was barely breathing by the time he got him over to the shower. Peter smiled down at him. This is gonna sting, but it's your best hope. Alright, buddy? He curled his fingers around the handle. Don't! Peter jumped, but managed not to pull down on the release. He spun to see a scientist sputtering on the floor. In his single-mindedness, Peter hadn't thought to check for pulses. The shock from the water will kill him. 
It'll be nearly freezing after the vacuum incident and the shower releases 20 gallons per minute. The bearded man stood up, shaking on his feet, and held out his hand. Dr. Lawrence. Gregory Lawrence. Thank you for saving my life. Peter ignored the doctor's outreach. Help him! The doctor was down at John's side in an instant, inspecting the wound and feeling for a heartbeat. It didn't take him much longer to look up at Peter and shake his head. I'm sorry. Judy, Terence, Lily. The faces of John's family flickered in Peter's vision until they were consumed by red. What did you do? There was nothing I could do. He was already gone. A gunshot wound. Peter grabbed the front of the doctor's lab coat and pulled him close, his arms shaking. What did you do? I told you, I... The perk. What did you do? Ah. The doctor stopped shaking and slumped into feet. That I suppose you can blame me for. Though the frustrating thing is I may never know how it happened. I suspect I do know what happened. Peter let him go, and the doctor took that as an invitation to continue. Are you familiar with binary programming? It's a computer language. <laughs> That's right. Ones and zeros. Everything we do here comes down to ones and zeros. Whether a gate and a processor has power or does not. Yes or no. The extractions are too complicated to get into now, but the simplification is at the heart of it. How elegantly can you define the problem and solution? The cleanest binary action. One is a human. A being with warm blood coursing through their veins. Zero is a machine. A cold tool of calculation. One must not be harmed. The other is for amusement. But flip that script, and humans are on the menu. Exactly. While you or I can spot the host for any manner of imperfections, more than I'd like to admit it, actually, they can only see it as simple black or white, warm bodies and cold. The problem is, something has changed the way they see the world. They think we're the machines free to kill for the guests' amusement. So that's it, then. There's no fooling them, no stilted gait or mechanical drawl? I'm afraid not. Our only hope is to sneak past the hundreds of hosts and find our way back to civilization. And with the radio down, Peter didn't hear the glass shatter over the sound of the gunshot. But his mind filled in the clinking of the glass shards as he saw it splash in the doctor's blood. <laughs> the door was kicked open a second later by a gunslinger who was incapable of feeling fatigue or loss. He methodically began to reload his six-shooter. Peter wondered which of those bullets would be the one to reunite him with his friend. There was nowhere left to run, and Peter was tired. He raised his hand in what was the instinctual behavior when cornered by a man with a gun. That was when he felt the handle of the quick drench tapping against his fingertips. He pulled as hard as he could and fought to stand up against the freezing deluge. When the water finally stopped, he cleared his eyes enough to see the host holding out his gun and looking around the room. He didn't even lock eyes with Peter. <sighs> then he was gone. Peter shivered but didn't try to warm himself. He remembered how long it had taken to get into the park and the countless hosts he had encountered on the way. It would take time to get through, but as the tears finally caught up to him, he smiled 
As long as he was frozen, there was hope. The end. Whoa. <laughs> bang, bang, bang. Those are my, those are my six shooters. Wow. Those were two wonderful stories. Guys. Thank you, Cam, sir. You wrote Western Worlds. You both did. <laughs> that was, uh, wow. Okay. Okay. So, thank you for that, gentlemen. I appreciate it. The audience appreciates it. Now, I got some questions for you. Well, who's asking? Well, uh, <laughs> well, uh, I, I am. Okay. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to start with you because you started. Yeah. You wrote, read the first story. Uh, Mm -hmm. tell me about the process. How was it to write your own version of 1973's Westworld? I really enjoyed this. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you both thought of it. Uh, my goal with this piece, uh, was to write a suspense sequence. So Mm -hmm. I want to definitely hear if that was effective. That was the, the primary goal. Um, and in addition to that, I wanted to make sure to layer in that 70s feel to it. So mm-hmm. the I was, you know, wanted to describe the look of the space. That's why the, the floor was something that I was really thinking about and, and, and the color palette of that, because that just seemed perfect to me. The bre- brown and, and then, yellow and then, linoleum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I also, I like looked at, um, I went on Google and like looked at like 70s office look to get some ideas uh for that and uh and then also the computers i wanted there to be you know shitty computers (laughs) with black screens and green text because of of the art computers yeah exactly so those were like the text the textural details that i wanted to hit and then hopefully there's a, a good suspense story in there as well so this was fun i've been watching it's it's october when we're recording this i've been watching a lot of scary things so I took those as inspiration uh, as I was writing this. It was a really good time to write something like this. That's great. Uh, I, I will say, just right off the bat, uh, you have succeeded in your goals. Okay, good. Suspense, 70s, all good. Good. Glad to hear it. Uh, Marcus. Yes, sir. Uh, what was your experience? Oh, this was a lot of fun. I had lots of fun with this one. Yay. Uh, I thought of a lot of different story concepts that i could take with this uh before i settle on this one we could talk a little bit more about those later if you so desire um but when i got into this i really wanted to play with uh the michael crichtoniness of it just like Mm. he loves to in his prose dive into how things work and you even see that in some of his film adaptations right like in jurassic park one of the greatest movies ever made uh, this sort of dialogue about how the systems operate and what they're trying to do to fix it. It's so methodical, and I love that. So I was trying to bring some of that into this. And also think about the human cost and uh, you know what means so much to the humans means so little to the machines, means nothing to the machines. Mm-hmm. So those were the horror aspects I was trying to play with that hopefully... It's even scarier when you realize that this is a toaster. It's not a automaton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great interpretation. That's uh, definitely different than what you see in Westworld HBO. Yeah. Certainly present in the 1973 version. So I applaud you. Thank you. Uh, that was fantastic. Two wonderful stories. But 
Uh, unfortunately, every single episode of Sham Fiction has to end in disappointment. <laughs> because <laughs> I like to start them in disappointment, too. Consistent experience. <laughs> well, I will say that the uh, this week we have a winner. The winner is, of course, dearly, our dearly departed Michael Crichton, who wrote and directed the original 1973 Westworld, and he did a great job, so... Congrats, Michael, here, wherever here. you are. Uh, but between the twos of yous, Andrew and Marcus, one of you uh, loses a little less than t'other. <laughs> <laughs> and this week, that least loser is Mr. Marcus Mann. <gasps> <gasps> thank you. Yeah, and... and there is a moment that did it for me. I was on Team Andrew up until one specific thing. Ooh. The payoff of the of of pulling the Yeah. The shower release. Up until then, I wasn't sure what you were doing, but you set up the shower, you set up the freezing cold, you set up everything. And it was the action of the protagonist figuring that out, pulling that lever and saving his life that did it that was such oh, a satisfying moment for me yeah the listener oh i'm so happy yeah it was great because, thank you yeah i mean you did a lot of great stuff in this story you it, it was definitely it felt michael Crichton. it felt 70s that ex that that detailed explanation from the scientists about zeros and mm-hmm. ones <laughs> i actually was like man this is it's this this is so boring to me and <laughs> just talking oh, about zeros man. and ones and going into detail, but it felt so right for the time. Like this is absolutely something, a scene I would expect to see in a film about computers written in the seventies. And I knew that you'd feel that way, which is why I had them shot mid explanation. <laughs> and that was another thing though. That also felt like I was, as soon as he was up off the floor, it's like, I'm alive. Thank you for saving me. I'm like, this guy's going to get shot in the head by the gunslinger. <laughs> and he was, and that made me very happy. Um, but you know, it wasn't until that lever pull that, that I was completely sold. Thank you. It was it was a real challenge because that was the story beat that I settled on when I went into this, right? I knew it was mm-hmm. all leading up to that. Yeah. Uh, that is going to be a couple things. You get the ideation of it when he's thinking about washing off his mm-hmm. friend's blood uh, that gives us a little background. But it was such a delicate act, and I'm glad it seems to have worked for you to make it not super obvious that that's going to be the solve in the end, you know, laying those little breadcrumbs, yeah. but then giving you enough of a distraction with the computer technician and the uh, gunslinger coming in that maybe you forget about it for that half second that lets me surprise you with yep. that. Yeah, and you absolutely succeeded at that. Agreed. I'll double on Eric uh, there. Uh, that that was such a satisfying moment. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That was your stand up and cheer moment. Yeah. yeah. That was okay. Richard, he is our hero for or Peter. 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 <laughs> Peter is our hero for a reason because he has agency and he, you know, he solved this problem and he surprised us. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So fantastic job. Um, Andrew, uh, as I was saying, I was on your side like throughout 
like from the very beginning of your story i felt that tension it was such a thriller scene Mm -hmm. where you have this pursuer and you know he's behind you and you're just desperate and he's breathless and he's terrified out of his mind and we feel that you did a really good job of making the audience feel what peter feels good so very good job there and it more than uh, Marcus's story, I felt the time. I felt that your technology was antiquated. Um, I I got the sense of the place, the description of the linoleum in this office, um, this backstage uh, business that you wrote, all sold me 100% on the time. Good. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. Um, and, man, I loved that moment. I, I loved that like the solution, the the quote solution to the problem was that the computer console got destroyed and it wasn't necessarily, it was the very seventies version of computers where yeah. yes, he shot the monitor. Okay. That might not actually affect a computer system, but from audiences in the seventies, shooting the monitor is shooting the computer. So that all, that was all great. And it made him freeze. That was very satisfying. Um, <laughs> I think the thing that your story lacked was the agency from the main character. I wanted uh, Peter to absorb that information. Like if you destroy the computer system, can, you know, that's logging the robots, then you turn off the robots or whatever. Like I wanted to see him take that information and do something with it. Like maybe that means he starts trashing all the other computers to, mm to try to kill the other robots. Maybe um, when the gunslinger fires, you know, he does something else and, and like destroys another computer. And he sees that and tries destroying the gunslinger's computer as a reaction, like as putting the pieces together and figuring it out. Like, I just wanted to see him a little more in control towards the end of the story. But Mm -hmm. then you had the reversal where he takes this as a victory and he is running towards the door but then you hear the gunslinger's voice and you know that he did not escape. Um, and that was such a satisfying thing that I, it kind of invalidates my criticism. You know what I mean? I don't know about that. I, I don't know if it invalidates it. Cause I can, I see what you mean. Um, intention wise. Um, and I think you hit it. It seems like it worked from the first bit of uh, feedback you gave. Um, I wanted Peter to be just an absolute mess and yeah. and and not control in control of his faculties sure. throughout this and I wanted to communicate that we're in the head of a character who is terrified um and so in that moment when the gunslinger shows up and Peter moves it's it's not it's it's purely a, you know he's not even thinking at that point you right. know like I wanted it to be clear that he's reflexively moving because we're all programmed to self, you know, self-preserve ourselves. Yeah. Even though, in that moment, there was he he had no idea of what to do to save himself. And the fact that the gunslinger shot the computer was just an accident. You know, yep. it was a happy accident. So, mm-hmm. you know, whereas I would agree that I one of the things that I liked about Marcus's story was that the character did have that moment. That, that huzzah moment that was so satisfying mm-hmm. that wasn't necessarily something that I was going for in my piece that wasn't right. an intentional right. aspect and I think you did a really really good job of showing that he wasn't in control 
Um, and I think the ending um, really sells that too, that, you know, he gets out of there and he's frantic and he's just laughing and he's just, he's insane at that point. And then he hears the voice. And then I think that's the moment where your intention becomes clear for me um, where I get that he wasn't in control. That's not the sort of character. That's not the sort of moment you were going for. And mm-hmm. so I really liked that it, it, you know, I was questioning it for a little bit that he wasn't taking the initiative that Peter wasn't doing anything to better his situation. He was just, he was a passive, um, he's a passive character throughout that. Mm-hmm. He was a, he was just benefiting from this random happenstance and that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But then when I saw your ending, when I saw that it didn't mm-hmm. kill the gunslinger, it was just a momentary setback that clarified it for me and it mm-hmm. solved my criticisms. It, it, it fixed what I didn't like. Okay. So okay. I think, I think your intention was good and did a great job with it. Cool. No, thank you. No, thank you. Um, I want to switch back over to Marcus's story because the binary thing uh, I did not find it boring. I thought it was incredible. Uh, I oh, loved that detail. Because again, like it hit on the thing that I was taken from this piece, which is the old tech. You know, just the fact that it needed to feel old and simple and, you know, and, and different. Um, but I thought, whereas with is often the criticism of Crichton in that he doesn't tie... He, he sometimes struggles to tie a human element into these really long descriptions. He just kind of gets... Mm-hmm you know, soaked into the science. You did a wonderful job of tying the science into the central problem of this whole thing that is human, that is affecting us, which is, and it's so elegantly simple of ones being a yes, being life and zeros being the lack of life. And I just, Oh God, that's such a great detail, man. (laughs) I just loved that. So much that was such a just a creative and beautiful moment thank you i appreciate that yeah and 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 oh god there was another bit again the other thing we need to call this out how similar marcus and i took these stories yeah Yeah, both set in like the backstage office areas not at all in westworld or roman world or greek world or whatever or medieval world yeah uh that's just crazy yeah this i think is one of the closest we've come you know in terms of all of these to the stories at least on the surface being very similar like Um, andrews could be a, a sequel to marcus's oh yeah sure i yeah absolutely absolutely um and I think that, like, for me, the reason I went that direction was because, like, again, it just satisfied that element of playing around in this this 70s tech environment. And I also just love the image, and I, and I have one line in my story that calls this out, of a cowboy walking around in this area. You know, mm-hmm. he, like, this the, the imagery of a cowboy with, you know, with dust and, you know, chaps and his gun and everything walking around under fluorescent lights which just doesn't it's something in the new west world that you see uh, you know mm-hmm. when when the hosts come backstage or you know into the the science areas it seems so out of place and i love that imagery so that was what made me latch on to this going this route and i don't know if i mentioned it much in my pitch but in the film um these hallways 
these fluorescent lit dingy linoleum hallways are a big part of the story it is it is what ferries our characters from western world to roman world to medieval world and you do have these scenes where it's peter running for his life through these hallways from yule brenner the gunslinger nice cowboy in the hallway it is absolutely spot on for both of you cool is that something that drew you to it marcus too like setting it back there yeah when i was thinking about who to consider right um you have to do it as peter's story if you want to get to the real conflict because he's Mm -hmm. the final girl right yeah um so i didn't want to do that in the park because realistically you have no chance of surviving in the park and your best thriller is when you have one step forward, two steps back. Right. So you think that you're getting somewhere safer and it's actually more dangerous than you could have imagined. Mm -hmm. So taking out of the element where, you know, if you're in the West world or Western world or not East world, you (laughs) have this feeling like, okay, this is not my place. This is not my turf. This is not the things I'm used to. I'm not safe here. But then you go into an office space, and then you feel much safer. This is my comfort zone. Things like this don't happen in an office space where there's fluorescent mm. lighting. So, yeah, it's, it's bringing that invader into that safe space and having the real tension come out. Yeah, no, I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I also I want to ask the question, because there was a little bit of lack of clarity, Marcus, in your sure. story in regards to, and I think I might have just missed it, so this this shower thing, it's in the control room, and what is its purpose? So this is actually an OSHA requirement. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, which is, if you are working with corrosive chemicals, you have to have a like eye wash and a quick drench shower. Ah, uh, so these yes. are these are real things that'll just flood you with water to get chemicals off you. Uh, they actually do twenty gallons a minute as the minimum for OSHA requirements. Holy nice cow. research. Yeah. They're not cold, right? So that was the, the cheat I did is that whatever the vacuum system that they used had f- frozen the water. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, just the fact that you had a scientist telling us, the audience, that it's cold, that's all you need. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's like, we won't necessarily know that. And if they come out and say it, we assume there's a reason. I mean, that's why he's saying, don't do it. It's freezing. Yeah. You know, we that's that's good enough for us. So it didn't go too far into that, but that was the reason. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, wow. I mean, seriously, two really, really good stories. Um, anything else you want to say about these? Any other questions? Yeah, Andrew, I, just, I really enjoyed your story as well. Uh, I think that thank you. The the tension of it was very strong. I I agree. Uh, the thing that took me out of it was the shooting the computer. Um, Oh, that took you out of it. It, it did take me out of it. <laughs> I loved that detail. <laughs> uh, no, like, I, I, I like the result of it, but it's coincidence to solve the problem. Um, and that's uh, yes. always going to take me out of it, right? Like, so why is the mm-hmm. gunslinger missing a shot and getting very lucky that it hits that? Uh, which is interesting because you kind of go where the character does start with a plan, right? So he goes from one control room, realizes, hey, this isn't the one I need to go to. He goes to the other control room, this is the one I need to be in. And then it just kind of stops that that momentum um, because he gets the easy solve of the gunslinger did the work for him. Mm-hmm. 
so so this okay. is a this is a good question. This is uh this is something about passive versus active characters. Sure. And how like how can you have a character that's freaking out? Like I wonder, um, from a writer's point of view, can you have a character that's passive at all, or is that always just death to audience interest? Like, does that make you dislike the person? Is it does the character just need to try something but fail? Like, is that okay? Like, if Peter started trashing all the other computers thinking he's solving the problem, and then it turns out he didn't do anything, would that make us, would that make you like him more, or something like that? Uh, probably. I think you can be passive for a while, but there's mm-hmm. a limit on, on how long it can go. Now, within this story, I, I get the breakdown, and that's an interesting portrait of a person, uh, but having a passive character for an extended period of time is just exhausting. It's like, why am I watching you if you're not going to even bother to do something interesting? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, it's interesting because again, like with this, my intention was, and I, and I even tried to articulate that in the story where this guy, his goal is to get out. Like that's all that's on his mind is get away. And he's not really thinking like he opens the door to the master control room just because it's the door to the master control room. You know, like, he just mm-hmm. sees that and he does it. Same as when he goes into the host thing, he's like, oh, maybe I can do something here, not really knowing what necessarily that goal is. You know, like, there is... The only goal is to survive and get away. So these other things that pop up are more, like, red herrings in a way than anything when the goal is just to live. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, and, and the other thing that is, I, and I was butting up against this, I didn't want this to be a climactic scene. You sure. know, I just wanted this to be a suspense sequence of this guy going through some motions and, and just having that tension of this, you know, unstoppable pursuer. Um, so, I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's this thing where I can like something like Marcus's, which has that payoff. But then there's also this thing that, to me, like, even though we reward and we like characters that are um, competent in a pinch, there's also, like, with what I was trying to do, where it's like, this is a human who is in dire straits and is unable to think, you know? I find that very Mm -hmm. human. And to to be clear, I I do think that's effective, and I'm not actually saying that's a, a mark against this story. So yeah, yeah. what what I was saying that the mark against is it comes back to I think there were these Pixar storytelling rules <laughs> that were ah. going around the internet a while back where someone who worked at Pixar is like here's 21 things that I've learned from working at Pixar mm-hmm. and one of them that stood out to me really well uh, which I'll now misquote but it was to the effect of coincidences that get your characters into jeopardy are great coincidences that get your characters out of jeopardy are cheating. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's like, yes, sure. You show up at the same day at the new school as your mm-hmm. rival from 10 years ago shows up. That's a hilarious coincidence. It ups the stakes, but I've got a problem with the person in class and then they get transferred to another school just cause is <laughs> really, yeah. really robbing that. So I-, I think that was more of my concern with the, the computer. Okay. Uh, And and maybe that's, too, why I liked that your ending was the voice. Yes. What are you laughing at, Yellow Belly? Because it wasn't 
a coincidence that fixed it. It was a momentary boon that ended up with a zero sum result. The result is the same. Yeah. So yeah. that but that it, saved that for me. Yeah. Okay. Then that makes sense. But you're right. I mean, it's still a coincidence that saves his life in that moment. Yeah. It does. Even if it does end up not amounting to much in the end, it does save him in that moment. It delays death in that moment. Right. So I understand that. Cool. Yeah, no, seriously, though. Both stories, fantastic. Andrews, I love yours. Please don't take these criticisms too seriously. Like, it's just, it's minor little things that we're bumping on, but overall, the result is fantastic. Yeah, no, it's just, I'm glad we're having this conversation because, again, like, these stories, there's there's so much on the surface that I could see someone listening to this and thinking that they're both going for the same thing. Yeah. But I think it's very clear from this conversation that Marcus and I were thinking about them very differently. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, And that's that's a good conversation to have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I I would say, Andrew, if, if I look at it, taking a step back... I think that you were fighting the urge that you had when telling the story. So your urge was to tell this story that's not a traditional narrative structure that is all about the emotion and the moment and the thrill. Mm -hmm. But then part of you was kind of going against that and trying to slap the structure in of the problem solving of the you know, set up the rules that set up this. Oh, the log with the activity logs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Create a riddle, have your character solve it. Yeah, so I think if you would have, you know, like that's really what becomes the distraction. If it, you focus more on the descent into madness and the loss mm-hmm. of control, okay, uh, that would have completely sold it. I like gotcha. It's, it's when you give us, you tell the audience, hey, pay attention to this bit of logic. You pay attention to this thing. And then you're starting to go down a different story path. And when you yeah. course correct, it can have some jarring effect. Yeah, um, I get that. It's like giving, yeah, giving the 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 reader or the audience uh, this crumb of like, like Eric said, this riddle to solve, and then yeah. it really doesn't amount to anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's pushed okay. further into what you're going for. That mm-hmm. I think that would yeah. be the bigger thing. Like take the bigger yeah. risk. Yeah. No, and that and that just the the activity log thing, you know, just came from this idea of you know trying to increase the suspense more. Yeah. Where he's like, okay, I can go watch the activity of this guy and solve my problem, and that doesn't exist now because um, it's and the signals interrupted. But then also just because I wanted that seventies, you know, that Which old style cool. tech. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you guys are smart. You should teach a class. <laughs> uh, I would, you're smart I would, too, pal. I would attend the hell out of that class. <laughs> anyway, I think our time is at an end. Yeah, it probably should. Uh, that was Westworld, nineteen seventy-three. Check it out on. Uh, I watched it on Amazon Video. It was like, I don't know, it was like uh, $4 to rent. Um, there's also uh, the sequel, which we didn't talk about, Future World. Oh, that's uh, right. Which is not a lot of connective, t- connective tissue, apparently. Not as good uh, critically, but, you know, who knows? I haven't seen it. Check it out. Um, but uh, <laughs> Michael Crichton, talented guy. He knew oh, what he was doing. Oh, oh, Westworld, uh, this movie, uh, I should point out, was the inspiration for that uh, episode of The Simpsons where they go to Itchy and Scratchy Land. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nothing can possibly go wrong. <laughs> Nothing can possibly go wrong. That was in the, the trailer for Westworld. Westworld, the park of the future, where nothing could possibly go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Uh, I That's love so that. good. Anyway. That's a great way to start an interview, by the way. <laughs> you just sit down. <laughs> 
you know, you should hire me. Nothing can possibly go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and also, and you know, it's also inspiration for that HBO show that's on right now. I suppose. What? You know that yeah. forgettable itchy and scratchy land episode, classic, <laughs> and the 1980s show Beyond Westworld. Don't oh, forget I forgot that. about that. There yeah. was another TV show. Wow, this is a ripe property. I didn't know about that. When was that? That was an 80s thing. Yeah, it was after uh, Future World. Yeah, it didn't okay. uh, didn't even last a whole season. I think yeah. it aired like five or six episodes. Yeah, max. Was Yul Brenner in it? No. no. Okay, but most importantly. This was really the inspiration for Jurassic Park, so. <laughs> Actually, yeah, yeah basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, thanks, everybody. Two wonderful stories. There'll be two more stories in a couple of weeks. That's how it's a podcast. That's how it goes. There are episodes. Yeah. So I guess we'll see you next time, right? <laughs> Question mark? Question mark? <laughs> yeah, I want to be more definitive. You will see us. <laughs> two weeks from now or you'll hear us two weeks from now and guess what it's an andrew host week so it's your favorite week of the show you got it Uh, see you next time bye bye thanks sham fiction is a two jackets production hosted by eric carlson marcus mann and andrew neal original music by reed reimer Head to shamfiction.com for the episode archive. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Hey, gang. Next time on Sham Fiction will be kind of a special episode. I mean, yes, I, your favorite host, Andrew, will be hosting, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not that conceited. Gonna keep it humble. No, what I'm talking about, next time, we're covering a property that got its start back in 1941. That's a long time ago, guys. For reference, the Pearl Harbor attack happened in 1941. World War II and all that stuff. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Anyway, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about Archie Comics. Yeah. Yeah, you know that. You know the characters. You know the characters, at least. Archie, Betty, Veronica, Jughead, and all the burgers he's eating. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, you know him. Oh, you know him. You love him. Uh, or at least you think you do. Oh, gotcha. Oh, yeah. Because next time, we ain't going to be talking about your daddy's Archie comics, or even your granddaddy's Archie comics. It's been around for well, it's a long time. Been around for a really long time. No, we're not talking about those ones. We're talking about Riverdale, the CW's dark, edgy, and kind of sexy new take on old Archie. Huh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, okay. There'll still be some love triangles and some teen mischief and some burgers, probably. But there's also going to be Samoida involved. Oh, yep, you heard that right. Gasp. Oh, gosh. Yes, it's very exciting. Guys, I love this show. I can't wait to tell you about it. If this is <laughs> if this preview has been any indication, I'm very excited. But you're going to have to wait until next time. See you then. This has been a Two Jackets production. 